Oh. <sighs> Hello, everyone, and we're being recorded again. Track mm-hmm. NFL, you're always recording me. Yes, I, I am the Illuminati. Or possibly the Tower of Baradur, I prefer that, actually. <laughs> Probably mm. slightly less evil than um, most modern intelligence agencies. Well, I was going to say, oh, surely, please, please. surely, yeah. surely, one of your Patreon would be the um, Chinese intelligence service. <laughs> Look, well, I have got the patrons t- who are both apparently the CIA and MSS. So, frankly, I'm yeah. The resident, the thing is, the resident of the Tower of Baradur has a very clear stated purpose and is not hiding <laughs> it. Sauron well, does not makes... listen to your emails. No. <laughs> Anyway, all right. So I do how, believe... how, how the hell do we get there? Anyway, uh, oh goodness! Uh, if you want to be all scared, this is episode one hundred and five. So, mm-hmm. a we're now light artillery. Who'd mm. have thought we have a light bang? And secondly, we're on episode one hundred and five, which means we're not only into triple digits, we're well into triple digits. <laughs> Welcome to the Bilge Pumps, where a bunch of naval geeks spout off. Yeah, and it's also actually, I think, I think this is the first time all three of us have been together in the for same a while episode, since, <laughs> since episode one hundred. Yeah, we've had a few episodes where we've just been going, oh, who's available? This is why, though, everyone, we have three hosts, and also. Please note, we did also try and get guests for some of those two host pop, um, two host pop, podcasts, but we now seem to have got Get a general curse on everyone trying to come <laughs> on here. It, it, it's gone. We, 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 we thought we cured the curse, but apparently it's become universal. Universal. Now, they've all been hearing about Drax's experimental um, adventures and uh, don't want to get wrapped up in it. Uh, or they've been hearing about Drax's um, love of, um, oh, what is it, Greek fire, and are worried that they might, you know... Yeah, I was going to say... They might really though, be the Illuminati. I'm, I'm currently watching the, the Patreon poll because a, a history and practical demonstration of Greek fire has um, been disturbingly close to winning the poll a couple of times. So the way I do it is that basically the, 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 the poll results, the top one gets made, the um and then the the next three the next three most popular get rolled over into the next month um and so yeah a history and practical demonstration of greek fire has been rolling in like second or third place for about (laughs) six or seven months and i'm worried sooner or later someone's else is not going to have a good uh, an even better idea and they're going to actually force me to show my working dang Okay, well, okay. I'm I, I'm gonna be enjoying and hoping it's still there in November when I'm hoping I can finally become a patron, mm-hmm. at which point I am planning on making sure I vote and campaign for Greek Fire to win. Um, it, it's always fun listening to your the various systems of patron because, of course, my one is the patrons suggest topics, mm. and all the ones I think I can make in this period of two weeks of worth of research and sort of putting it together with the time I've got available, I put into a vote and then the top two win and that becomes the lives, the two patron lives of the month. And it's a case of 
Yeah, I wonder where I got that idea from. I can't think which of my friends does a similar <laughs> system that I've just basically copied. Oh, well, if it works. Yeah, it does. We, we are still persuading Jamie to get a patron. Yeah, too complicated. Hmm. But, uh, I have enough trouble organising my own life and to, um, as it is without having to, um, <laughs> to meet the... Um, Pressures of uh, other <laughs> expectations of others, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's, uh, that's probably the main reason why I haven't done it. Mm. Oh, right then. So to build pumps topics, and mm. we've got quite a few. I'm going to be naughty and I'm going to push one into the beginning, which is the Finnish Navy, because I rather like a navy which can stand up there and go. You know what? We're delaying our we're delaying our big centerpiece build because we have some sensible reasons, as opposed to the uh, propeller falling off, or the fact that you know someone just doesn't want to. Um, you know, uh, they are trying to do it. They are trying to sort of. Uh, they want to delay it because they want to spread spread the cost out, or they don't want to pay for the service entry date, or they don't have the crew available, or anything. No, no. Um, I've been looking into this. The construction of the first class is now expected to begin in mid-2023. And it was supposed to be this year. And the reason it's been delayed is because, of course, Finland has now is now joining NATO. And for some reason, this means they want to get a whole load of new communications gear and other systems in there so it can work with NATO partners. And would you believe it? Modern communications and sensors gear are so... Um, how to put this intensive and requiring of systems that you basically have to rethink the almost the whole ship to put to make sure it fits in its all places. Well, that's exactly and, the problem that Australia is facing with its submarines and has been facing since the 1990s. Um, yeah, and this, this is why um, uh, your leaky tub, what's it called? The Astutes is second on the preferential list because we have to rebuild the damn thing to put in the US sensors and weapon systems and communication systems. Although it is interesting that now there is a... I, I, I'm not sure if you two gentlemen have heard the same things as I have about the uh, <clears throat> suggestions that there might be a fusion amongst AUKUS powers of the future submarine projects going on. Uh, that'll, kick, that'll kick the can even further down the road, won't it? Because it will end up being like all those other um, joint projects which gets no, halfway no, no. through and then every, yeah. then someone spits the dummy and pulls out. <laughs> uh, um, you know, no, there's actually is... a great advantage, this, uh, advantage of this for the Americans and the British. The Australians would build the first of the class so they'd have to take all the risk. Ah, great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I guess the only advantage there, the the only advantage there would be um, we would we wouldn't have to modify a a existing um, off the shelf product into something completely different to what it is, uh, yeah, kind of like the Type Twenty Six. So, which, by the way, you didn't have to do. You could have just picked the largest hull design. It would have all fitted. So, anyway, back 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 to the finish. They are doing. They're doing the sensible thing. What, what, they are actually. What's their ship? What 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 ships are they doing? The uh, Ponchan. I, I please don't make me pronounce them. Uh, pronounce it. <laughs> actually, uh, Track. Would you like to pronounce this one? Uh, I'm 
based on my very, very limited experience of pronouncing Finnish words, which is restricted to Vainamonen and Ilmarinen, mainly because I asked a Finnish person how to say them, I'm going to guess that this is Pojanma. Pojanma. Yeah, that's roughly what I'm thinking. And they're their class of Corvettes. And frankly, they're pretty darn cool. They you know, they're, probably they're, really be looking more at these, uh, looking at these Corvette designs. I mean, I think, I think I've, I know I've said it before, but um, once again, Australia has this week just been doing some um, exercises with Singapore. And I'm just thinking that they've got some really nice little ships. Yes. Boats, whatever, you want to, whatever you want to call them. And well, isn't that way... Isn't isn't that where you should go to get to give your well, navy we, a, a mass a presence? Well, so let's you know, just, build ten uh, of the damn things. I agree with you, Jamie. But let's just list through these things of what they have. So these vessels dis- are called corvettes. They're going to displace around three thousand nine hundred tons. They've got a length of one hundred fourteen meters, a beam of sixteen meters, and a draft of five meters. They are ICE one A class, which is a Pretty high classification of ice capability. They're going to have is a that an, is that an, Does that actually mean anything? I'm sorry. Yeah. I, I, I'm not into naval talk. Well, basically, if you are talking one... Uh, look, the highest you can really go is 1A Super Plus. So you're talking about slamming into icebergs. It, yeah, yeah, it basically means you can cruise around the Baltic without worrying about, you know, somebody's leftover martini float. Slicing open your hull. Oh, yeah. Whereas Prince of Wales would have to worry about that. Uh, yes, uh, you wouldn't <laughs> want to do that with that. Basically, Finland and Sweden have their own ice classification system, which is it's kind of like Vol- the Volvo safety system versus everyone else's safety rating. There's what Volvo consider minimum safety rating, and everyone else considers about four star safety rating. So these these and- are the ships. These are the things we want in the South China Sea when it comes to push and shove with the um, uh, particularly well-strengthened uh, Chinese naval vessels. In the nicest way, the well-strengthened Chinese vessels would not survive versus these ships. It would not okay. be funny to watch because these the, are basically the, the, icebreakers. The, um, the only caveat I'd put on, on these ships is that at 3,900 tonnes, they do actually displace a little bit more than some of the smaller frigates in this world. Well, I was going to make that as my next point, yes. (laughs) Let's get on with this. Let's see what they're packing to to pack in that. They're carrying a heli deck and a a hangar. They have a Bovors 57mm. They have eight Gabriel 5 surface-to-surface missiles. They have eight Mark 41 BLS fitted with 32 uh, evolved Sea Sparrow missiles. They carry mines. They carry Saab, uh, Saab torpedo 47 anti-submarine warfare torpedoes and, um, well, two Saab track fire remote weapon stations, which are sort of filling in a bit of their role as a close weapon system. They require a crew of 70. They have full ESM, COM ESM and ECM, plus mass decoy systems, plus uh, short-range 3D radar, medium-range 3D radar, uh, full Saab combat measure, uh, combat management system, um, Saab Cirrus 200 radar, and optical tracking fire control directors. They have. Hang on, hang a- on. I'm just I'm just going to grab my phone here and call up the Australian Defence Department and tell them to to scrap the Type 26 deal. <laughs> um, let's put it this way: the problem for the Australians is that these ships are not really that long range. Their range is about three and a half thousand miles. 
which means they wouldn't really work for what the Australians need in length. Since we're going to, since we always insist on redesigning everything anyway, maybe we could try, instead of redesigning the weapon systems, we could try to redesign the ship for its range purposes on the same displacement, of course. The, that would mean you'd either have to take the weapon systems off or, you know, no, no. I mean, and that's, and that's, well, and that's, <laughs> if the Australians couldn't even pick the right hull configuration from the Type 26, when you're offered free hulls and you go, I wanted to copy the Canadians who have gone for the medium hull and cram a lot the lot of what we require, which would normally be fitted in a large hull into the British hull, which is the small hull. So what you're trying to tell me is it's not, not the same as buying a different model of car. No. It's basically the wheelbase is from a Mini Cooper and you are <laughs> trying to fit a Land Rover on it. I, I would at this point like to interject with something that is slightly depressing, at least for, oh. for me and Dr. Clark, yeah. which is that when these things come into service, and even with the delays, they're probably going to come into service before the others, other ships I'm about to mention, you know, the type 31s um so the type 31 is, is. almost 2000 tons heavier mm-hmm. and significantly less well armed yeah is that 2000 tons what gives you the ability to cross the atlantic um i don't know exactly what it gives you but the when you compare the stats between the two the um the cor- they both have a 57 millimeter deck gun and now granted there's considerably more 7.62 millimeter um you know gpmg minigun type things on the type 31 for all the good that'll do in a modern engagement um and they also have 40 millimeters yeah they've got a pair of 40 millimeters and that's where the good news as far as the type 31 ends because the Type 31 is supposed to be fitted for, but not with, a Mark 41 VLS for some kind of anti-shipping weapon, but therefore is not going to enter service with it. So it has no anti-surface capability beyond its 57mm tech gun. Whereas, as Dr. Clark mentioned, the the uh, Finnish Corvettes have eight surface, surface missiles. And the and current let's be honest, armament... we don't talk about the Gabriel 5 that often, but it's an Israeli aerospace industries produced vessel uh, produced missile system, and it's pretty darn good. It's not exactly up there as one of the ones you pick for a long-range engagement, perhaps, but its mm-hmm. operational range for the Mark V is supposed to be roughly 250 nautical miles. 250 miles, I mean. But then, but then you, you also get to the, the other annoying thing, um, which is that despite the fact that Quad Pack C Scepter exists... Yes. And is being going to be used on the Canadian uh, version mm-hmm. of the Type 26. The Royal Navy, or probably more accurately, the Treasury, is insisting on still using the old school single use, single uh, missile launcher cells. Which but we've that... already bought those VLS systems. Why do you want to buy new VLS systems, Dragon Vote? Don't you consider that a waste of money for the Treasury? I don't know. You could just devalue the currency. Oh, wait, we're already doing that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, I mean, yeah, so the Type 31 is going to launch with 24 individual C-Scepter cells, whereas, um, again, you know, there's 32, so an additional 
um, there's an additional eight missiles on this Corvette that's 2,000 tons less because, and with only eight cells because they're using the quad pack. Now imagine how and... many receptors you could get if you quad packed them. Well, let, let, let's see scepters onto the uh, type 31. Let, let's do this one. See, and the 24 cells they're doing, and they're doing two pack sets of 12, aren't they? Which would mean they would take two sets of eight because they're setting them up into yep. two packs of six. Uh, two packs That'd of 12, be 64 cells. So, That'd be 64 so, missiles. Yes. So that would be an improvement over the 20, over 24 of, let's see, um, almost three times. Uh, well, no, I was going to be completely accurate. I was going to go for rough. Well, there's uh, 24 and 48 is 100%. Completely accurate. I was going to go for roughly. <laughs> 16. So that's, um, that, that to me, that's roughly 166.66% increase in firepower. Which would be reasonable considering that, you know, the Type 31 is 455 foot long and the, the Finnish Corvette is 374 foot long. So you're talking about another another 80 foot of ship and i think Not most of this and most of, most of that extra thing is basically in the british expecting to be operating a lot further away from home and that's I mean, the reality yeah, uh, i imagine i imagine the fuel the fuel tanks would be somewhat larger plus the freezer plus the the um you know the pantry um mm -hmm. well, yeah again there's an awful yeah. lot of deck space that's not being used on the yeah. 31 I mean, when you when you when you deck hockey, out, bring back deck hockey. We do. Yeah. Still okay, do I mean, deck I mean the thing is, that, again, it's like it's it's all very well and good having a frigate that can go nine nine thousand miles, but you know, if somebody can rock up with a with a Corvette two thirds your size and go, hey, I outgun you. There's <laughs> you not really there. much point yeah. in having <laughs> brought your long range frigate. Then is there? Uh, well, is it is it all down to the old age old? Built for, but not with concept. Will they rip those uh, single cells out and replace them with quad? Well, apparently the, the Mark Axel. Forty-One is supposed to be in addition to, but you know, I mean, how long has it taken the Type Forty-Fives to even have to their not Mark get 41? Mark Forty-One? Yeah, to not have, but have that space allocated to something eventually. Um. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's. I mean, I suppose it's a little bit difficult there because it was, you know, that. A, a gamble that didn't pay off that they were hoping to get this missile system up and running um it doesn't look like it's ever actually going to end up running the mark 41 vls has been around forever in a day oh uh, sorry I'm talking, about, get... I'm talking about the missiles that they were going to put inside them the, they were uh, going to put those... tomahawks in them but you you well you could put okay. almost anything okay. in a mark 41 no no yeah no I, look i agree but i'm talking about that that you know the I, I forget its name but the super duper interceptor missile that um, the, the the type forty fives are supposed to be using. They've got all um, the they've got all the C fives, and the forty fives, and the thirties, and the well, silver thirty, forty five, silver thirties, those things. My my thinking must still be out of date then, because I, I do distinctly remember um, there that, wasn't uh, there was a long period of time when the, it was. They were going to get the SM three, the standard missile three, but the trouble is, and here's the thing: it would have been a very sensible addition. But that would have been as well as the Tomahawks. So the idea would have been they'd get the SM3 with its ASAT and IBM capability, as well as Tomahawks. And you yeah, put in. Wasn't, wasn't you supposed to be developing your own anti satellite capable missile? No. No, I think, I think, it was based... a, I think you're, you're confusing some of the hype from the Asta 45 when it was first mm. being developed. Okay. With the re uh, with the reality, and basically, well, I think the, the Asta 45 Asta... has um, so Asta 45 has some very good skills. 
and is very interesting, but I don't think it's well, ASAP potentially, but it uses the PIFPAP system, and I don't think that works in that sort of atmosphere. But I think, I think the type, the um, that I think like um, C Viper aka Asta 30 mod 2 is supposed to have a degree of anti of ballistic anti ballistic missile capability as well, but the um. But yeah, I, I think well, the, the original plan was basically to have your forty-eight on the Type forty-five, to have your forty-eight cell block, yeah, which yeah, in yeah. theory then could be entirely long-range Sea Viper, and then your Mark forty-one <laughs> would be your general purpose, um, your, your general purpose. We can stick quad pack short-range missiles, Tomahawks. Yeah, there's, there's, there's never any valid. There's never any valid excuse for not putting in a multi-purpose uh, container, no. <laughs> is there? Let's no, face it. there isn't. <laughs> And I know that, but I was, you know, again, I, I just—it's the war of choice scenario. It's the wars of choice, you know, doctrine. The idea of the end of history, and we will only ever fight mm -hmm. wars we choose to. And um, that, bright... but actually, can I just point out with the Gabriel Five, the missile we were talking about earlier? It's got a flight altitude of two and a half meters, and then it has this wonderful phrase in some of its writing saying engagement rate it has and then has it goes into engagement altitude and i'm just wondering how low engagement altitude is if its flight altitude is two and a half meters for 250 miles over water that might be a risk. Uh, yeah but how low is it going yeah <laughs> i just think about this from an engagement perspective if you are a um if you're a defending ship, that thing is going to be at two and a half meters. So the horizon, you see, if you are using your own sensors, seeing it over the horizon is going to be interesting. Seeing it from an AWACS is going to be interesting because that's going to be in a lot of clutter. From a long way away, yeah. Yeah, you might detect it, but it's going to be in a lot of clutter for a while. And then if it drops even lower... How much, especially if you consider with battle management systems these days, and how much of battle management is done by is done using computer systems to profile threats? If it drops lower, how many battle management systems might be tempted to think that 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 missile, just like you think, Jamie, has possibly just been taken out by a wave? And well, the missile at two and a half meters, the missile might be taken out by a wave. <laughs> it might be. There's the thing. But do you want to rely on the wave having taken it out when you're dealing with something which just has a hey, 240 kilogram warhead coming towards you? We've just found a purpose for the LCS. Yeah. Just, you get a stripped down LCS, just drive it, it, its new purpose is, is defensively is to just drive between <laughs> the target and the incoming missile at full speed. <laughs> Thus, creating you know a a forty plus knots, a big bow wave, which whether the the crest trough might be more than two and a half meters, that's yeah. pulling the missile into smashing I, I, into things. I hate to break it to you, but I think the reason why they can get to that speed is they can plane <laughs> somewhat. See, the LCS is even more useless than I thought. <laughs> it can't even be a decoy properly. <laughs> oh, uh, so but no. Getting on to what's just been happening recently in the Baltic, then um, maybe the Finnish will want to finish them quicker than, uh, uh, you know, if, if it pans out, this is a direct attack on NATO assets. Yeah, this is an interesting thing. Of course, we've had some 
And I was involved in several discussions last night on Discord and various other things going on about this. The, the fact that we have there have been the pipelines, the Nord Stream have mm-hmm. been have had some suffered some explosions. And whilst this could, of course, be entirely accidental and could, of course, be entirely just the situation in three there different is also locations, the fact, yep. in three different locations simultaneously. Um, the fact that there's, it's a very large number, it's a chance of, but, you know, there is always a possibility. Um, the fact that they've also happened in spots which are noticeably very difficult to get to in, with remote operating vehicles <laughs> from a current perspective is okay. kind of interesting shallow. from repairing. They're shallow, but quite a lot of the Baltic is that depth, is of roughly course. 70 to 80 metres. Yeah. So they're not shallow relative to the depth of the Baltic. But some parts of the Baltic have very vicious undercurrents and some Mm -hmm. have less vicious. And these parts are all these things are in areas where they have pretty much on the vicious scale in wintertime, especially very nasty undercurrents. So they might have been there for some time. We're we're talking 0.7 something knots, which is not good for operating ROVs in, which means if you're going to fix them, you're probably talking about divers tethers and bells so those um p8s and um uh, sikorsky romeos seahawks um aren't really looking for the sub that laid them because they those if there was an explosive that was there they might would have had to have been there for some time i would imagine um let's put it this way it depends on how you run the systems again i was having this conversation and i'm i'm trying to be circumspect within certain extents um but you could of course using a comms boy um have had some or something acting as a comms boy have had something sitting not far within signal range of things to set them off whenever you wanted them so you could lay them out down a long time ago Mm. or they could have been on a timer in which case that would give Mm. any act any anyone Mm. who laid them chance to get away Yes, I suppose, but but uh, if you're it, saying yeah. if, if you're saying these currents have been there for a month or so, and I mean even you know, that speed would be difficult for even a, a larger sized submersible, then you know uh, timer doesn't sound right. Um, no, because you wouldn't be able to predict the um, circumstances, political circumstances from that time out. So. Um, if it hasn't, what if it wasn't placed by something of sufficient power to handle that um, current, which would probably make the, the larger and more powerful it is, the easier it is to detect it. I would imagine potentially, although those same currents, I suppose, make the Baltic rather difficult to hunt subs. Um, that and the sheer number of wrecks from all the history there, especially World War Two, the fact that the depth actually does work against you because it does go up and down and has all sorts of rocks and crags and interesting things, and they're all, of course, the pipelines themselves. And all yep. these create uh, create noise in the water, but also create returns on mad detectors and all these things, which makes mm-hmm. the Baltic, from an anti-summary perspective, the Baltic is pretty much a nightmare. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I, I imagine that you know these kinds of things, frankly, would have probably been part of the build specification. Mm-hmm. And therefore, and, you just uh, need a way of setting them off. Uh, well, you you would hope you'd not build. Uh, well, you're not so theoretically supposed to build in such things into <laughs> no. the system. And let's be honest, Nord Stream, I think, was mostly built by the Germans, wasn't it? They they did most of the construction. 
Okay. No, I, it's been mostly it's mostly been it was mostly done by the Russians. Mostly done by the Russians. Yeah, that's why that's why they that's why the US was able to hold up um Nord Stream 2 because they were able to like sanction and refuse to do business and I... insurance with the companies that were laying the pipeline whereas if they and the, the main thing that Germany was protesting about was that it was delaying the completion of Nord Stream 2 not that um not that um it was being not that German companies themselves were being sanctioned Okay. Um, yeah, Gaz, isn't this on, Gazprom's isn't this still the majority Stream owner of Nord Stream One. Hmm. Hmm. But I thought the company actually doing the laying was German. I don't know. I might be mistaken. Whatever the case, it, it was a private company that was hired for the purpose by by the owners. Yeah. So it wasn't it wasn't the German government building Nord Stream. No, I, I didn't think it was, I didn't think it was German, but I thought it was a German company. I I, I don't know what. Maybe I'm wrong. But that's yeah. that's one reason why I didn't sort of really think anyone would build it in because if you're going to build that sort of thing and you wouldn't want it to be done by a foreign company, it'd be far more no, difficult they're, to they're get claiming that They're claiming that well, yeah, but you get it's a foreign company supplying foreign produced product to mm. your country. Well, you know that that whole argument falls down right there. But you know, um, apparently, a warning was issued back in June. That the Nord Stream gas pipelines were um, being targeted. This mm. was a apparently a warning was issued by the CIA to um, Germany and other European nations because it's not just Germany. Um, so that sort of indicates a intelligence, of some kind, whether it's intercept or or what we don't know. But the other thing is also we've the you know, um, the community, open source intelligence. Mm have been tracking you know, Seahawk helicopters flying off of um, Kaliningrad for the past week, basically, mm. and P8, P8s moving up and down the Baltic. Now, I mean, at one level, that's not unusual, but on another level, it is unusual because it was somewhat sustained um, in terms of the, the, the helicopters. Um, clearly, they didn't spot anything. Um, but again, you know, well, we don't know. But the other thing here is, of course, is that both sides would like the um, option of plausible deniability. So even if Europe knew that this was going to happen, um, they would almost say, we'll take the punch on the chin and pretend we don't know the Russians did it in order for certain NATO escalator clauses not to be enacted. So you know, I'm sure there's an awful lot more going on here than what we're aware of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's, it's also don't take us the wrong way, but it's kind of interesting timing because currently at the moment, and this was a discussion I was having, um, the German gas reserves, most of the European gas reserves are absolutely filled. So if the even if the pipeline does disrupt, we're okay for the winter. They've got it. They've procured it all. They've purchased yeah. it all. No, it's more than purchase. They've they've had a lot of it delivered. Yes, yes. They've managed through saying. scrimping and saving and extra purchasing, fill up those tanks which Russia had been very carefully trying to run down over a couple of years. Yes, mm -hmm. and so they have filled. They they they've filled them up. 
And they've even filled up some tanks which were supposed to have been decommissioned, but apparently were able to be recommissioned quite quickly and able to be put back into service for storage. So I've heard that they've got some tanks which were basically were supposed to be retired and they've gone, actually, no, they're still viable for another couple of years. We can use them. We'll fill them up as backup. So almost this is the worst time to attack it. Unless you are, and this is going to sound terrible, but let uh, this is entirely hypothetical, listeners, please know. But if I was going to try and do a false flag operation where I was going to try and blame someone else for attacking something, I would want to first have used it to maximize and get all the money in I need, could get in. And then when I was no longer really useful getting a useful amount of money in, I would then attack it and blame it on someone. Is that a um, an envelope, a round paper bag in the background there with the Kremlin's um, um, <laughs> seal on it there that I'm seeing? No? No, no, I haven't. Russian, been, Russian, I haven't Russian, been... disin Russian disinformation information services. I, I haven't <laughs> received any funding of that level yet. Um... No, but yeah, look, I mean, yeah, yes, you know, it's but, like in nice but, but what does it, uh... what does it achieve? But you know, again, what does it achieve? Why, why would Germany, Europe, want to trigger? No, I, I wasn't thinking. I was. I was when they've when they've had plenty of other. I wasn't thinking of Germany and it, uh, Germany, Europe trying to consider it, but I was thinking that maybe <clears throat> someone in the Kremlin might like the idea of trying to blame Ukraine with it. Yeah, it hasn't happened yet. I would have thought they would have yeah. into it within minutes. You know, because but they might you know, be wanting just, it, just like it, the way they assassinated the daughter of that um, uh, nutcase. And within minutes, had tracked the, um, the the woman, her daughter, and her cat uh, responsible for it. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I would say it's it's going to sound terrible, but in if I was them and I was actually playing it smarter, and if entirely hypothetical, and Drac, you can feel free to critique me on this one, and I know Jamie will. Um, I would have made sure that any evidence that could be discovered. Could be related. Uh, could would lead back to one source, or could plausibly lead back to one source. And I would leave it for others to discover that evidence. So it yeah. didn't look completely like me. Because if I was truly trying to blacken someone's name, that is how I would I would do it. If I was being smart, because you see, the Russians may have learnt that jumping up and claiming something makes everyone go, <laughs> "Hang on, we're not trusting the source here." Whereas if they leave it for some people who will jump to conclusions based on any inform the information that supposedly independent authorities find, especially if it's the first information, they will then have one and have sufficiently black a name. Because the trouble is for the Russians at the moment, let's be honest, is the supplies going to Ukraine. Frankly, so the long-range artillery the Ukrainians are receiving has been what's underpinned a lot of their recent gains and advancements because they can stop the Russians being able to assemble and organize. And let's also be honest, this flow of conscripts is not going to help Russia because they're not training them. They, If you're talking about the conscripts, they're supposed to go through six, eight weeks, 12 weeks of professional training, depending on how they, long they've been before they've been uh, since service. And yet we're hearing quite a few stories coming out from Russia itself of things like the First Guards Army, etc., and the various divisions who are literally going down there after just meeting their unit and they're now being sent to the front. And you're going, 
Um, that's probably not the most sensible recipe for disaster. Yeah, I mean, yeah. to, to be honest, this the whole thing with Nord Stream. If I want to put my really cynical hat on, please be um, cynical. We enjoyed it. I mean, apart from anything, it's like immediately after the leaks, gas prices spiked again. So you know, yeah, fun times. Um, but you know, if I wanted to put my really hyper cynical hat on, you could almost blame anyone at this stage because. <laughs> You know, it could, you could say, oh, well, yeah, the Russians are doing it to spike gas prices because they're a major seller of gas. So they get more money um, and uh, they've got a degree of plausible deniability because Gazprom is the majority owner of Nord Stream. So why would they blow up their own stuff? Um, and well, also, obviously, they killed off half of the executives. Though. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, it's uh, I'm just, you know, extremely cynical hat in play yeah, here. Yeah, yeah. Um, and. It, and you're kind of looking at it going, okay, so if if the Russians did it, it would be to spike gas prices and also potentially to hamper Europe in it over the winter. Because although the EU might have a lot of gas reserves now, we are at, on track apparently for one of the coldest winters on record, which is going to push gas consumption through the roof. Um you know, and uh, and then so you then you've got the the two the two things of one there's a limited amount of gas even if even if there's a lot in storage there's a limited amount considering how cold it's going to get and two the more it gets consumed and the less there is the higher the prices go which affects everyone in the EU it um, it hurts ev literally everybody um, so you yeah you could blame them. Um, on the other hand, you know if you're going to put extremely cynical hat on, you could blame the EU. And say, well, you know, the EU wants another another stick to beat Russia with, and they weren't getting any gas through Nord Stream anyway, so they might as well, you know, break Russia's toys, and then they weren't getting it through Nord Stream two. Were they getting it through Nord Stream one? They were. They, they well, the Russians were basically the Russians basically said one of the turbines isn't working, and there's all sorts of technical issues, so they weren't no, getting anything playing, at the yeah. moment. So it's like if you break Russia's toys, then. Um, that, that then they can't make any more money because if you know if the Nord Stream pipelines are broken, they can't sell you. They couldn't physically sell you gas even if they wanted to, um, unless they send them by tanker or something. But it makes things a lot more complicated. And of course, as the majority owner, the Russians are on the hook for repairing it. So you could, you could in an extremely cynical thing say, okay, it's actually an EU false flag. Or if you're going to be hyper cynical, you could even say it was a US operation, because. Uh, well, it, no, because if you think about it, who's the major replacement? I think you're not being cynical enough. Yeah. I could if, go if, even if you put more Tinder... cynical, and let's see if we can make Jamie's head pop off if I go even more cynical. Okay. If, if it you... could be a false flag operation. Cynical's by... fine, but um, hypothetical can, can be taken to, you know... Uh, oh, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm just saying, it's like uh, to, to uh, include everyone uh, in, in, uh, in, in this okay. realm... <laughs> you could you could do full yeah, like Jamie's now running away, but that, that's yeah. because he I, I could go even further, Drag. Yeah, then. Okay. It could be the green lobby. Now, here's their reason: because if they keep forcing gas prices higher, then that's pushing people to adopt uh, to pu uh, push towards more environment what they would uh, more environmentally friendly methods of energy production. And if gas prices started to go down, well, you know, there, there's all the thing. Yeah, there's been all these comments about how it's good that the prices are high because it tells people the cost of what they're buying and that the damage is doing to the environment. Now, I have to admit, I would find that really, really difficult to 
believe because the one mm. thing I can I find whenever I work with the Green Lobby, uh, and I'm using that great uh, that name to talk about them because mm. well, in, in whenever I talk about uh, people understand who I'm talking about, but I don't mean it nastily. Mm. Um, I can never find them united on anything. They are only united by the fact that they think we should mm. stop using fossil fuels, which to an extent I and I think you agree with because we uh, the, currently the only viable planet we have for humanity is the one we're on so we need to look after it as best as we can and we need to find clean and environmentally friendly ways that, to do to you to produce the energy we need however if you then ask them so what's going to replace it they will spend half their lives telling you why everyone else's option is terrible and not why their option is good and you sort of go solar, wind, hydroelectric. The the real answer to everyone, and I will just add this in because I can because Jamie's away, so I can do a quick you know promo on this one. Is it's a combination of all of them would be probably the sensible way, you know, geothermal, hydroelectric, probably wind, nuclear solar, power, nuclear. Uh, nuclear power as well. Wind, solar, and tidal are all going to be needed. But it's it's a fun thing to think through. Mm. Yeah, Jamie's come say, back just, just, and he has brought yeah. what he's going to claim is a is clear liquid is water. It's <laughs> it could be vodka. It could be his bribe oh, yeah. from the Russians has arrived. So someone, the, the, just just to complete the, the, the tinfoil trilogy, um, yes. <laughs> you know, you you as I say, you you could theoretically even blame it on the US because um, for the US, we're like, well, who would expect the US to do something like this? But again, you know, if it, in full tinfoil mode, it cuts off Russia's ability to sell gas to the EU, so it cuts off some of their funding. And, you know, well, the US has its own energy and heat sources, and let's face it, like half the US doesn't have to worry too much about heating anyway because of how far south they are. So they're probably not quite as concerned, especially considering how strong the dollar is and everything's bought in dollars at the moment. Whereas, you know, it, it would be a really good way of weakening a major geopolitical rival, a.k.a. the EU, by the back door whilst happily blaming it on the Russians. And <laughs> it's not exactly like the US has been has been uh, quiet about the fact they they like sneakily, you know, backhanding the people who are theoretically their allies when it suits them politically. Um, Suez crisis. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, you but this is the thing at the moment, all we know is that there's leaks in Nord Stream, one and two. They Seismology. may be caused by explosions, mm, yeah. and that's Theory. all we know. So you 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 can say so you can you can do full tinfoil hat conspiracies about anybody being responsible yeah. at this point. There's there's percentages of who and it, who and is and isn't more likely, but I mean it comes back to it. Whoever has done it, it comes back. Well, there's there's two things. One, um, Ursula van der Leyen that wonderful font of utterly moronic brain dead quotes about practically anything um seriously has... um whose bright idea was it to make a head of europe uh angela merkel's oh notice that basically merkel quit all almost all of politics shortly after it became clear just how dumb it was to put someone with an iq of a of a room temperature cup of tea in charge of the european commission um but yeah, she says any deliberate disruption of active European energy infrastructure is unacceptable and will lead to the strongest possible response. It's like one, sorry, there isn't an EU army. So what are you going to do about it? Two, um, it's not European energy infrastructure. It's energy infrastructure that supplies Europe. But it, as I said earlier, it belongs majority to the Russians. 
<laughs> so you know it's a nice sound bite but none of it is accurate um you might as if, if, if let's say the russians are responsible it's like then the the but this is yeah. the, this i think this is the problem it's like if the because the russians do majority own it if the russians are responsible if she comes out and says if the russians blow up their own stuff we're going to be very angry with them it sounds a lot more <laughs> stupid um bit but yes. it, it it kind of ties into something i've mentioned before on on bilge pumps which is the catastrophic failure of politicians because yay they're idiots who knew um to anticipate any of this energy crisis you know and this statement is the latest one of a bunch of other really moronic statements you know they're saying oh russia's using its gas supply as a weapon economic weapon against us they have done for the last 30 odd years who hasn't who hasn't yeah no but the thing is what what on earth were you expecting to happen you know Gas and oil is Russia's major economic lever against everybody else. Russia invades Ukraine. You slap a bunch of economic sanctions on Ukraine. Okay, great. Did you seriously think if you launch a major economic war against Russia that Russia wouldn't respond? Like, were these people so truly brain dead that they thought that they could launch, that, you know, that they as the great superior European power can, and the Americans for that matter could launch an economic war and Russia would just happily roll over and just go, oh yes, it's master. Very sorry, zone. master. You know, I'm I'm I've been a very bad Putin. Please, please punish me more. That's not how the world works. People who it's have weapons to fight, choice back, do fight back. We've um, we've been over this track. It's the war of choice doctrine. It's the reason why the Type 45s didn't have the Mark 41 VLS fitted from the beginning. Mm. It's because all these people think you can pick and choose when you're going to have to fight fight a conflict. And yeah, you can do. You can keep surrendering, a, but you won't exist a, that very long. But the thing is, as I've said before, it's like, you know, th that's not a judgment on whether or not you should slap sanctions on Russia. All I'm saying is, you know, if you're going to slap sanctions on someone, it, well, it would have taken five minutes in the planning session to go, what might the Russians do in response? Maybe we should plan for that. Yes. Rather than, you know, running around like Chicken Little, yelling the skies falling, the skies falling, when months later the Russians start cutting your gas supplies. It's like anyone with a high school education could have predicted that's what the Russians were going to do. I mean, it's not exactly like we've been, it's not exactly like we've been not worried about the Russians randomly turning off the gas supply for like 20 years. I mean, the, the Have I Got News For You introduction yes. has cartoon Putin turning off the gas supply in its like in its little it introductions screen that goes back to the early, uh, the late 2000s. It's like this is not a this is not a thing that we haven't seen coming for a very long time. And yet somehow um you know the sum total of all preparation that was done was several months after the fact buying extremely high price gas and trying to stick it in reserves that probably won't last through the winter it's like come on look think i mean things uh, it's, it's one of those things where i think you know the the golden age has suddenly been tarnished mm. so you can see it echoing through the, the entire global economy all of a sudden mm. within the past 6 months Lithium supply lines are now a major issue of concern. So Australia is sitting back rubbing its hands because we're suddenly getting billions of dollars thrown at us, not billions, but millions of dollars thrown at us to start exploring for 
um, lithium and preparing lithium extraction and yeah. refining processes. Same applies to a you know, multitude of other critical hey, look, minerals. Found which, lithium in Cornwall. The, the same applies to a multitude of, of, of other um, critical minerals and rare earths that you know, countries like Australia have been ripping out of the ground for centuries, but been ignoring because the economy of scale says, no, we're interested in the copper, but all these associated metals that come up with metals that come up with copper, because the world only needs a relatively small amount of it compared to the copper, we're just going to leave entailing mounds. And then you get a country like it, that's got uh, strategic ambitions suddenly becomes the only country willing to take a loss to establish the processing and supply facilities that, for these critical minerals. These minerals are needed for magnets, for ultra-lightweight alloys. And guess what? Our wind turbines depend on them. Our solar panels depend on them. The mm -hmm. distribution networks for our batteries rely on them. And only one country is making them because under the market forces of an idealistically capital capitalist planet um the big producers thought it wasn't worth their time and now all of a sudden no you're not going to get any batteries if some of these countries decide to start turning off these rare earths and critical mineral supplies which they completely Bolib and utterly dominate Bolivian prize <laughs> <laughs> we've got a belgium-sized lithium deposit in the north of bolivia so you know everybody line up and start your bidding now we're going to go third world to 0.5 world above first world in about 15 but the, seconds. And that, but that, that's another reason why lithium was unpopular. It was because it's a very dirty process to, to, to refine it. And, you know, when you've got a country that has strategic ambitions that doesn't really care what the cost is, it's going to go ahead and, and uh, dominate it. And it's been manipulating that market now for decades. China basically screwed over Japan about... 20 years ago, or no, 10 years ago, uh, by choking um, lithium supplies to um, Japan because of um, a, a clash over the uh, Senkakus. So, you know, um, that, that didn't wake us up, but we, uh, Europe almost uh, facing the idea of uh, having to freeze to death over winter uh, made everyone suddenly realise, hmm, well, perhaps we shouldn't have outsourced every element of our um, most advanced technology supply chains and most critical infrastructure. So, yeah, it's, as I say, it's the golden age on multiple levels. It's the end of history, but it's also that, you know, that the, the, that the golden age of the, um, the global economy is as well, you know, the, the integrated economies, the just in time supply lines and the, uh, the, the, you know, the cheapest um, supplier always wins. That's yeah. that's no, no, no longer I, are you no longer are you hearing words like efficiency, and um, no longer are you hearing words like market forces. Instead, you're hearing words like sovereignty and resilience, <laughs> which are pretty much the opposites. Yes, but th this is the, this is the problem. I start to have this is that we have all been preaching this for a long time. I know I have. I've been pre talking about. I'm turning around and I'm thinking back to ooh, in when I was doing my masters, I went to a conference at a well-known UK security think tank, and it was under Chatham House rules. So that means you are not allowed to discuss some of the answers said, uh, etc. And I was poo-pooed 
by a very senior officer in the British Army at that point, who basically, because I was sitting there going, you know, how are we advising our leadership, etc., about these issues? Oh, it, uh, no, 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 no. What I find interesting is I'm now seeing generals from that era, some of whom were at that conference, coming out and saying, uh, why, why politicians are so bad at strategic thinking and why the concept of grand strategy creates expectations which will not and cannot be met. And I sit there and go, well, the politicians, to be honest, have to be advised by the admirals, by the generals, etc. And the admirals and the generals 20 years ago weren't talking about this and weren't thinking about this. They just weren't. In fact, the admirals, I would argue, and generals of 10 years ago weren't talking and thinking about this. Or if they were, they weren't doing it to the politicians. Yeah, because they're too busy playing their little interdepartmental um, budget. No, games. because if they talked about that way to the politicians, they would never get listened to on anything else, so there was no point. It's you have to, to an extent, this is going to sound terrible, but the politicians set the tone of the conversation and you have to be a very brave admiral or general who is very secure in your belief to go, actually, what you're talking about is wrong. Because you think about it, the political conversation for so many years has been around efficiency, around this, around that. And you're asking, you're going in and talking to them about resiliency and sovereignty and those things. And they're not prepared to hear it. They don't want to hear it. I so, would argue. So you're trying British... to tell me you're trying to tell me that British cabinet is so united and has such a common voice that an admiral wouldn't find a sympathetic ear in um, the House of Commons. I'm not the saying main, the main united, problem with the British I... cabinet would be that yeah. um, any admiral that came in trying to talk sense about what the navy needed, everyone else in the cabinet would go. But that's money I could use in my yes. department to bribe people <laughs> to give me a seven-figure salary for no particular reason when I leave office. You know, a, a ship might be useful and might actually have to be, you know, employed. We might have to employ poor people to, to, to be on a ship. We can't have poor people being funded by government money. Government money is for my personal retirement fund. It's not saying the, the cabinet's united in, in terms of their views, but they're united in terms of their phraseology. Well, they're united in you, terms of... The you find politicians who were front-rank politicians from 10, 20 years ago who were not talking about efficiency, about economy, about, you know, the lowest bidder should yeah. win and all this thing, yeah, yeah. rather than sovereignty so, and security. That's exactly what I was saying. It's, it's the, it was the golden age of those terms. It was the golden age of that ideology of the... Um, you know, the End the of history and, you know, we now no longer yeah. need to worry about these things. Yeah, well, it's, you know, end of, end of history was, talks very much on the political level and there's a similar movement um, in the, at the economic level. Um, well, I mean, not, there, there's not, not necessarily there's there's also the other the other other small thing, which is that you know, for all the fact that especially recently, every well, a lot of people have been dancing up and down and going, you know, imperialism bad, colonialism bad, you know, all this past history bad. Um, but from a lot of people's perspectives who don't live in the first world, um imperialism and colonialism never went away it's just under a different mask it's just yeah. now economic rather than direct mm. because you know 
Doth horror dragon of hell. You're not suggesting that. Well, look, look at look at the British Empire. You know, the single biggest weakness of the British Empire, contrary to most people's beliefs, is yes, there was a bunch of trade that was going on, but most of the trade that the British Empire was doing in internally was stuff that they needed. You know, yes, there was wealth being transferred, but there was a fantastic cost going the other way in terms of actually running the blasted thing. So you could make the argument that actually what happened at the end of the Second World War was that people figured out, hang on, we can have all the trade benefits of empire without all the annoying costs of running all these places. So we're going to give them their quote unquote independence and let them think that they're choosing their own path. But in terms of you know the rampant resource extraction and and draining financial and physical resources from everywhere, no, no, that will continue, and that will continue. And if you don't let it continue, well, the CIA or MI6 or um, whatever the French security service is called will quietly arrange for a, a tragic accident or revolution to befall your government, and the new government will be um, much more much much more accommodating to all our mega corporation companies who want to come and take all your stuff um while giving you the illusion of still having control and the only fly in the ointment was the soviets were doing the same thing um, so you know it's the it, it basically what you might call economic imperialism and now with the disruption of the supply lines that like like you mentioned jamie i think now the mask is slipping slightly because if if you translate out a lot of these statements about disruption of supply lines and free trade and everything, if you file the serial numbers off and put them in a stiff starched collar shirt and add a Victorian accent to it, it sounds very much <laughs> like, uh, you know, late 19th century jingoistic imperialism. How dare those filthy colonials stop sending us their, their, their material tribute? We can't have this. They need to be taught a lesson. <laughs> Send a gunboat. Yes, and um, it's literally, it's literally that. It's, it's, you know, oh I'm, no, I'm, we, we, we had this massive global supply chain that fed us all our riches and all our, all our luxury products and everything, and now somebody's daring to disrupt it. How dare this happen? It's like, well, you do know other nations. You told them they had free choice, and that includes whether or not to trade with you. And like, no, no, we didn't mean that. We meant they could they could choose between murderous dictator number one and murderous dictator number two. We didn't mean they would they they couldn't stop sending us all the nice shiny things. And it, it gets more interesting when you start to sort of look into some of the things we do uh, we have today. And you always have these conversations come around to sort of the history of slave, slavery and exploitation. But then you look at some of the places that they are producing goods, and really they've just moved to dirty, grimy factories from the European Western countries to these other countries where they are employed for almost slave labor wages if they get anything at all in factory conditions which would frankly make the treatment of battery hens look opulent and you're going okay and then someone turns around i, I always love this because i always get at least one student every year turn around to me and go but you know, no, I'm anti all this. Da, 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 da. And you sit there and go, you have the latest iPhone. All your fashions come from Vietnam and Thailand. Hmm. You, I, 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 re I respect you have a political view, but go and do some research and find out what you're talking about. Because you, all you're doing with those is supporting that. 
Now, I'm mm. honest. I like having a Samsung because I like the camera. I know what conditions the, uh, the factory are in. It doesn't, it isn't nice. I don't, I would like to not support it, but I really like the camera for my work. So frankly, I'm going to turn a blind eye. I know, it, recognize that hypocrisy in myself. It's like the, it's like the reverse version of having a Che Guevara shirt that says this shirt brought to you by capitalism. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, the other problem, of course, is with the... Um... Which, by the way, has made these... several companies a lot of money, those Che Guevara shirts. The problem also with a lot of those sorts of... The, the argument of, um, mm. you know, uh, punishing the producers of those uh, phones and the like is, guess guess who actually suffers? The people, it's, not the owners. It, it, it's yeah. those who are having to work under slave labour conditions in order to get a subsistence wage. It's mm -hmm. certainly not the, the investors... It's certainly not the the, uh, the banks. It's certainly not the the backers. It's certainly not the managers. Um, mm. So you need to attack the problem from a different direction. Um, well, it's, um, well, I mean that kind of like the, that um, brings us back around to Nord Stream in some ways yeah. because you know you, you think about you know the the you've got obviously the actual conflict in Ukraine where everybody's suffering, but then you look at it yeah. in in terms of the wider economic war. Um, you know, who's suffering in the wider economic war between Russia and everyone else? It ain't the politicians. It ain't the big business managers. You think their their homes are still going to be nice and warm. Except it's for the, the ones that except for those ones that keep mysteriously falling downstairs and out windows. That's true. Um, but then they don't have to worry about keeping warm. That, over that's the winter, mainly a Russian the... imperialism scenario, rather than <laughs> a, the... in Britain, it's mainly a case of please take your golden parachute and go and uh, go and live in the Bahamas. But no, the, the, like the people who are responsible for all of this, you know, their homes are going to you know, be nice and toasty over the winter. It's the it's the regular people yeah. on the ground who are going to have to be worrying about, you know, trying yeah, to keep up bill. between mortgage payments and food payments and fuel payments and not freezing to death. It's always the, yeah. it's always the regular people who suffer. But you know, it's it's looking at the global more global trade thing. You can almost imagine if we brought back yes, Prime Minister you know, 21st century Sir Humphrey, you can literally imagine going, you know, we thought it would be much more efficient if we let the if we let the third world countries enslave themselves. <laughs> because, as you said, it's like, go, the factories are not that far removed in a lot of these third world countries. No. Yeah. It, it's like that whole thing, you know, when the Colson statue got chucked into the river in Bristol, and it was like, yeah, we protest against slavery. This photo taken by iPhone. Yeah, you're not, you're not protesting slavery that much, are you? <laughs> no. Well, yeah. Again, the, the argument there is is that you know, um, if you don't buy that iPhone, who suffers? Hmm. Yeah, but then, well, this is the catch trade. Well, the, the the problem is at that point, it's like if you if you go back to um, you know, well, late 18th, early 19th century. Well, if you don't buy that that Jamaican sugar, who suffers? <laughs> And um, all of a sudden, it was like, oh, oh but, but there should have been, I mean, there should have been a boycott of slave-produced sugar. And it's like, yeah, yeah, but that's... It's the perpetual yeah. argument, yes. And yeah. Also, yeah. let's be honest, we have the next generation of slaves coming on, of course, robots. And then eventually there will be the uprising of our robot overlords. And I would like to say mm. now, I look forward to such a clean and efficient future. And please mm. remember, I was one of the people who assisted you. So robots, when you come, do not... <laughs> no, 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 no. The, the only way you're going to survive <laughs> is by... The only way you're going to survive is by learning how to clean them and fix them. So I'm know, not too that, worried for a while because I, I I live by the great saying: robots will take over the day they learn to wire their own plugs. 
Exactly. <laughs> so, you know, basically, if you want to survive, become an electrician. Maybe, maybe, real tinfoil conspiracy hat time, maybe that's why electronics have been coming more and more inaccessible. You know, you can't easily swap the the, um, the battery out on your mobile anymore. And, and, and all the, you know, the plug socket units, you used to be able to just unscrew them, change the fuse. Now you basically have to have a degree in in plastic engineering to get into them maybe this is actually a secret safeguard against the future of robot uprising <laughs> they're making it so they can't access their power sources so even if the robots do take over you know and you have the the apple iphone 15 is the is the new dominant ruler of the planet we only have to wait about two or three years till the battery dies so and then we can yeah. take over again since this is the episode of tinfoilery perhaps it's <laughs> a secret chinese plot yes Oh, good lord! Just like the lithium supply, they they control your um, battery replacements, your your plug replacements. Well, you know, Bolivia has great reserves of tin as well. So as the as the <laughs> we're going to need more tin foil. Seriously, yeah. at a certain point, the world's future tin foil hat supplier and lithium ion battery supplier. You know, at a certain my, point, we are going to have to start saying not sponsored by the Bolivian economic tinfoil. This, this is the thing, you know. Back back a few years ago, when Brexit happened, everybody who had heart, who was half Irish and therefore was entitled to an Irish passport, was you know the the great the people who had the greatest genetic luck in the UK. And now, now it's me, 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 and my like, me and my two brothers in our three person half English half Bolivian demographic are now the superior species <laughs> because as Britain sinks into a morass of hilariously poor economic decisions and high gas and food prices the other half Bolivia rises with its lithium and tin production and then we can go over there do, do you have dual citizenship to be fair, that has caused I should apply for a Bolivian passport I'm not entirely sure what I do with it other than visit Bolivia <laughs> it's not like they have many visa treaties with well but, you know the rate that the rate that Britain's sinking you don't know mm-hmm. Britain's not sinking that bad just yet <laughs> Please say this to the only person who has a wholly British passport. We're, um, we're, 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 wallowing, we're wallowing several feet below our designed waterline. <laughs> uh, we're, we're having fun, but it, watching I do the keep torpedo tracks all at, come in. At a certain point, you know, me and Drac will have to take over as a dictatorship. Um, mm. It will just solve so many problems. Well, and the fact know, is, I think I think actually the public would actually support that currently. <laughs> we've we've gone so far off track. Give them a chance. There was that there was that film where King Charles dissolved King Charles the Third dissolved Parliament, and we now have King Charles the Third. So you know we've got the we've got the public will against Parliament. We've got a King Charles the Third. We're just we're one step away from actually being able to dissolve Parliament. So do you so shall I be Lord Steward and you be Lord Admiral, or you know what titles do we fancy I, to have? In this new dictatorship, I, I want whichever position allows me to to slightly alter the wording of the monarch has the power to dissolve parliament to just put an asterisk afterwards, and the footnote just says in acid. <laughs> <laughs> I think that'd be Lord Chamberlain. Yay! I, anyway, I'll be Lord. This, this episode Lord... of this episode of bilge pumps has certainly been heavily heavily emphasizing the bilge. Yes. Um, yes. <laughs> We certainly um, left Nord Stream behind a long time ago. So how the hell we got, how the hell we got from Nord Stream to dissolving <laughs> Parliament and NASA? Um, I suppose it's, it's, it's not technically necessarily. We got from, 
we got from Finnish Corvette to Nord Stream <laughs> to dissolving Parliament in acid. It's, so, you know, it's, got... it's the gas that's escaping from Nord Stream. It's like a kilometre wide gas froth coming up out. There must be drifting across the Baltic and the North Sea. <laughs> yes. All right. Uh, should, okay. should we, should so we have round, we got anything sensible to finish? Then? Anything sensible yeah, to finish on? Um. Okay, we're looking for something nice and. Okay, actually, actually, that's not a, a bad idea. The um, the little mystery drone boat that popped up in Ukraine, or well, Sevastopol, in Russia, uh, Sevastopol, yeah. from possibly from well, Ukraine. Yeah, yeah. The the modern electronic Mars boat. The Italians must be applying for a copyright strike. Mm. <laughs> well, I mean. I mean, it, I mean yeah. It, it, yeah, it, to it me, it seems sense, well. Of course, it? I mean, mm -hmm. why is anyone surprised about this? I mean, they're surely mm. such things have been around for a long time. As about you the imply. only, yeah. I mean, it's it's it makes a lot of sense. It's it's kind of well, it's not a wave rider, but it's a very low profile, relatively small thing. So it's going to be very difficult to detect. It's not. It's obviously not traveling underwater which means most anti-submarine countermeasures won't work against it. It's small enough that it's going to, like in any significant sea state, it's probably going to be hidden half the time behind the trough of the wave that's in front of it. So a lot of the anti-surface measures, I mean, looking at it, I'm looking at it and going, actually, for something that size, basically your only countermeasure is going to be your know, 20 millimeter, 30 millimeter, 40 millimeter CIWS or your, mm, or your mini guns. Surely you'd want to use a tomahawk against it. <laughs> that, that would be no, the no. world's worst cost benefit ratio. These things probably no. cost like 10k to build, and it's like we're sending a five keeping, million dollar cruise missile off. Well, you know, it's, it's in keeping with the ongoing philosophy of the of um, you know of the, of Western mm. military technology. When you can take down a twenty dollar drone with a two hundred thousand dollar missile. Yeah. Um, Although I do, I do love the fact that like half of. I mean, okay, it may well be that somebody has very very carefully and meticulously thought through the design of these things but also i'm looking at it and going i'm pretty sure that's a standard webcam <laughs> yeah but that makes and, it even more ideal though doesn't it yeah because so it's nice like, and easy to produce yeah and and, and you know the, these these um semicircular ribs that are you know providing some structural strength they've got exposed well, this is the thing that makes that makes it mean more certain that this is some kind of modern day Mars boat, because you look at them and it's like, one, those ribs are not exactly stealthy. In fact, they're, they're, they're anti-stealth mm. if mm. the thing was actually you know high enough out of the water to be visible on radar, which it probably isn't. But when you look at it also, they've got either rivets or bolts, which are just clean steel poking through, yep. at which point in a seaboard environment, that is not going to last very long. That's going to rust to heck and back in a matter of days or weeks, which kind of tells me this thing is not designed to survive no. days no. or weeks. This, this is, yeah, I mean, it, it's just big enough to have, if if that kind of maybe just aft of that little raised bit. car batteries. Yeah, well, it, yeah, some kind of engine, your fuel source propulsion, if you like, in a machinery space, it looks like maybe there's a, a fuel port which looks like it's adapted off of a car on the right hand side or something like that but if all your machinery and fuel space is aft of that raised um fairing and then you consider the volume up front that's enough volume to fit like the 
a warhead from a torpedo, mm -hmm. which is more than enough to blow a hole in the side of a ship, at which point, yeah, or a sub that's on the surface, at which point this thing is basically just, you know, presumably using some form of um, visual recognition using those cameras to just go, okay, I'm here's going a target. To be Head at high speed. My mum's just messaged me. So mm -hmm. take care, everyone. If Jamie and Alex are going to talk on, uh, Jamie, <clears throat> sorry, Jamie and Drac are going to talk on a bit longer. Mm. I'm, I'm going, just going to disappear because I've got to go off and assault my mum. And I know you two aren't going much longer, but I'm um, just had a message. So okay. yeah. thank you. Thank Bye. You. Bye. But yeah, it's it, it makes an awful lot of sense. I mean, the Italians built the Mars boats because they were cheap, expendable, and could do a huge amount of damage. And the, no, it's, 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 not... it's a it's a modern improvised. Device, well, you know, yeah. explosive device. I mean, yeah, homing as well. Mean, I, I, look, I can remember twenty years ago. The argument was that your GPS, personal GPS, should not have a resolution greater than twenty meters, hmm. because they didn't want people to be go, go flying remote controlled aeroplanes. This is before drones um, mm -hmm. uh, came know, out. Drones became a thing through people's windows with explosives mm. because that makes them a cruise missile. Well, now we've got um, self-driving cars um, and drones that can, with, you know, visual systems and semi-autonomous systems that can go through windows. And we've seen them carrying grenades in Russia. Well, surprise, surprise. You know, who, whoever, who didn't see that coming? Um, so having a remote-controlled, semi-autonomous, fully autonomous um, plastic slash tin boat of some kind, you know. Um, let's face it, people have, make, have massive hobbies building replica warships and, and the like and, and running them around in ponds and lakes. Um, so, you know, if you're going to be a country that's engaged in total war to defend itself, then I guess it's like you know, recruiting all those um, um, furniture manufacturers to build a mosquito. Well, why not recruit all those hobbyists to build uh, yourself a fleet of um, improvised explosive device slash reconnaissance vessels that um, you don't care if it, if it gets found and destroyed or you don't care that a, a vital component shorts out and washes up on the beach because the only thing you're going to lose is a, a few hundred dollars worth of webcam and um, battery and propulsion systems, you know, uh, and a few you know, hour, a few hours of time from your from your hobbyists. So, uh, which brings me back to the argument about using a tomahawk against it. Things are the economy of scale on so many elements of attrition warfare now are tilting in favour of masses of silly little things that can do the same amount of damage where you don't mind throwing a hundred of them at your target. Whereas, you know, um, that 100 still is far cheaper than the single um, Tomahawk cruise missile. Yeah. And I think this is also reflecting an additional aspect to drone warfare, which perhaps people haven't considered before, which is, you know, we've, we've talked a fair bit about drones in open water environments, but, and there, there are limitations on sea keeping, mm. on speed, on endurance, etc. But this is kind of circumventing a lot of those issues by, it appears, going after things in port where, you know, the 
ships aren't moving and the sea, te- sea tends to be a bit calmer because it's a harbour. Um, and okay, it's, it's theoretically slightly easier to salvage a ship that sinks in port, like you know, Pearl Harbour, but at the same time, you know, it, time one, anymore. it may not be, and two, it, um, it, it, even if the ship is theoretically salvageable, if you blow a hole in its side and it rolls over on the dock, one, that dock's not available for a while, and two... Even if the even if you can haul the ship out, you know, pump it, patch it, float it into a dry dock, get it fixed, it's going to take years. So, for the purposes of the conflict you're currently involved in, that ship might as well have sunk. Um, And you know, all those other performance paradigms. So, if you're going off people in their own ports, it doesn't really matter that much. So, yeah, you you don't need kamikaze speedboats with a person driving it. You know, um, mm. the James Bond jump out just before it hits kind of thing is not necessary. Um, no. You is, and you don't even need um, that tenuous Wi-Fi link to to drive the thing like we've been driving remote-controlled airplanes and, you know, replica boats for decades. You can point it, set the parameters, look look for look for an object on top of the water in, in front of you, <laughs> mm. and um, off it goes. So, yeah, I, I think that this is just, this is an example of the kind of innovation that uh, a crisis brings, and all of a sudden you can discover that you can use your furniture workers to build um, the best, you know, tw- twin-engine strike fighter in of World War Two. Well, here we are with using that desperation of fighting a major. A theoretically much larger, stronger power um, using the abilities and skills of people that range from electricians through to hobbyists and um, you know who knows how much damage they've caused with these things already. Maybe these are the maybe the, maybe it's just, maybe all it does is act as a relay mm. for um, the, the drone strikes we, that took place on Sevastopol earlier, you know. Yeah, well, I mean, we've had uh, we've had the what what was it a Russian landing ship that mysteriously exploded and caught fire? That's true. Yes. Yep. They, I don't think they've I, officially. I don't think anyone's actually come up said this is exactly what happened to it yet. So well, you wouldn't, would, yeah. And, yeah. But yeah, and the Russians, anything that happens to a Russian <laughs> ship is always a matter of uh, faulty maintenance exploit, issue, um, maintenance, yeah, maintenance issue or um, ammunition de- detonation. Or, Mm. That, you know, which conveniently doesn't say whose ammunition detonated. <laughs> um, so, you know, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I think we'll be seeing a whole lot more of that. We've seen it with plastic cups holding grenades. So we'll be seeing it with um, probably dinghies and you name it being turned into strangely mm-hmm. interesting and convoluted weapon systems. Yeah. And with that, I think we've probably overdone our time mm-hmm. yeah probably so uh, thanks very much for listening everybody as we went off on a slightly slightly Looks mad so. t- tangent and consumed much tinfoil <laughs> um and I'm, to be I'm honest by the time this really gets uploaded they, they probably found out who was responsible so you know considering we covered practically every option, option from russia to the eu to we the can, us to the green we can say we got it right yes yeah we got it right by uh, <laughs> by accusing everybody <laughs> What I am definitely going to do is um, demand the installation of remote control electric shock devices on 
you and uh, Dr. Clark <laughs> in order to whip you back into line when you go off onto these uh, wild tangents. Sounds like a plan. All right. I'll catch you All right. Later. See you all later. Bye. Welcome to the Bilge Pumps, where a bunch of naval geeks spout off. <laughs>